amazing guest, uh, V Debbie from YS. YS, good morning, Debbie. Good morning. So we'll go into the icebreaker questions. Uh, first concert you ever went to? Was a gospel concert. I can't remember the name of the artist, but it was at Notting Hill um, at this church called Kensington Temple. Um, it was absolutely manic. Uh, was going crazy for Jesus. Loved it. <laughs> Cats or dogs? Dogs. Favorite genre of music? Gospel. Gospel and grime. Wow, ratchet, righteousness. <laughs> wow. Slogan for life. Break the rules. Break the rules. Worst job you ever had? Working at Papa John's Pizza Shop. Um, taking orders and believe me, people get crazy when they say they don't want onions on their pizza. To be fair, if you put onions on my pizza, I can't do it. Yeah. <laughs> you put onions on my pizza, I can't do it. Anyway, a zombie apocalypse is coming. Three people will carry your team. I've only got three people on my team, so all of us are going. <laughs> me, Quaker, and Dad. Actually, no. guys. So let's get to know a little bit about yourself and your background. I know, but for our listeners, um, so I'm the founder and CEO of YSYS, which stands for Your Startup, Your Story. We're a startup community for entrepreneurs, investors, creatives, innovators from diverse backgrounds. And we run programs to support people become entrepreneurs or get in employment within tech. So I met Debbie on a Founders Door weekend, which turned to a six-week accelerator program, which I didn't know was a surprise. This is kind of how we, we met each other. So one of the main focuses for the weekend was to change the face of tech. What does that mean? So within the tech industry, it's predominantly been known to be white, male-dominated. Um, and if, all, if we are going to build products that solve global challenges um, across all intersections, across all types of applications of tech, we need diverse people behind us. Sure. So for us, it's like, how do, we fa- how do we then change the face of technology by putting diverse people at the forefront and encouraging them to be founders or work with amazing teams? So what's a common myth about, let's say, tech that you've heard that you, that you disagree with? That's inaccessible. Um, you can build from your bedroom. There's so many platforms and non-code tools now that you can use and you can get an app running um, straight away. So if you check out platforms like Product Hunt, a lot of people are releasing tools that you can use to build um, and start anything within five minutes, such as Wix, Wix.com. Um, you've got stuff like GitHub, where you can copy other people's code and use that, apply and make your own. Um, and there's loads of cool tools. So how have you found this like tech industry? Has it been welcoming to, to yourself? Oh, that's a good one. <laughs> that's an interesting one. Um, it's welcoming now because I'm taking the, the initiative to own the table and own the rooms I'm in. Um, when I first entered the tech industry, I actually applied for so many jobs and kept getting rejected. Sure. I applied for internship jobs, even though I was like a law graduate. I just finished um, working at Anderson Young. I worked at a law firm, did business development. I had this like amazing corporate CV. Yeah, that I thought I was like, I am so okay. And I kept getting rejected. And I said, because of that, I'm just gonna create my own opportunities. So I remember whilst I was working at this law firm, I used to run um, startup meetups on the side. Um, in different co-working spaces and I'd message people on LinkedIn will you come and speak at my event about food tech about how to raise investment and lucky enough they were like super responsive and said yes but it's then that experience that I then used to then apply for tech roles and then we started to get jobs and I ended up getting headhunted to run a retail accelerator um, 
yeah, so I say it wasn't as easy, but I think having to create your create your own opportunities for yourself and put yourself at the forefront, that's what helped. Now, when I was in the midst of it all, that's when I became more woke and more alert to the fact that actually I'm a black woman um, in this space. And what does that mean for me? So my um, awakening call to that moment was um, I just graduated, joined a company called Capital, and then sort of had this very entry level role. Went into the office, trying to look to see the black faces, hang out at lunch, I didn't see anybody. First black face I saw was like 4.30. Mm. And I was like, okay, no. And I thought like, wow, it's, it's the environment I'm in. Yes, and I think that's so interesting because I know someone recently that runs like a really big co-working space that they're trying to diversify. And they said that the only diverse people in this room are the facility team. So that's from the cleaners, from you know AB, uh, front of house, but no one actually within the team is in, belongs to an underrepresented group. And that's where things need to change. And often when you look at stats of organizations, they said, oh, we do have a diverse um, you know, company. I'm like, where are those people from? What, in what department do they sit in? And what does their progression levels look like? Nada. <laughs> that's a really interesting topic on that progression because right away, 2017, I've been working fundamentally since the month I graduated. So like three years now never have I had like a black manager mm-hmm. ever and I've been in so I've been in procurement I've been in the marketing industry I've been in events as for a short stint I was in recruitment never a black manager yeah. why do you think perhaps like that is? Um, there's a there's a glass ceiling that a lot of people okay. say applies to women and there's another one you know that applies to black individuals especially black women and I think it's What's happened a lot in, within the tech industry in terms of diversifying the cohort, they've done a lot for attraction. So attract, attract, attract. But then what happens when those individuals get in that space? You could do all of your efforts to you know, embody these diversity initiatives and pipeline initiatives to let people come in. But the inclusion part doesn't exist within the organization. That place isn't going to be psychologically safe for that diverse talent coming in. So they're going to come in. They might be within an associate role. And by the time they can even make a manager role, they've left because some kind of microaggression they experienced. Or it's the fact that when they've entered, um, companies are now doing a tick box exercise. Actually, they've entered an associate role. That's fine. We don't need to give them career development, professional development. Actually, we no longer need to watch them or let's focus on someone else. And therefore, they're not progressing. And then also when it comes to actually the gender movement within these companies, it's white women, you know, that are um, being put on the pedestal before those other women. because. What they're recognised actually is, okay, let's support women, but women come in all different types and forms. They're intersectional. So what's happened is the focus on a very attractive diversity goal has actually created more, or actually highlighted more systematic problems that happen for other other groups of people. So the company I work at, I'm on a diversity committee board some powerful conversations and it really echoes something you made from them. One of the initiatives they're really doing right now is coding, to get more women to code. But when they say women to code, we kind of know what they're alluding to. Whereas the title of the committee is diversity and inclusion, so you think that's one aspect of diversity and inclusion, let's focus on the other. When it came to kind of like racial diversity, that's when suddenly the ideas kind of went quiet. And me being the only black person on the board, I was mentioning these ideas of what we can do, what we can do, how do we make these roles a bit more attractive? spoke to the lead recruiter and <laughs> something's mad. She doesn't see colour, but she focuses purely on CV and skill and the 
way the company is going, they need to hire people with experience, which is why perhaps people with different backgrounds aren't applying. And like, she told me this in a meeting, so I pulled her aside after we had a conversation about it as well. I'm like, do you understand that you didn't go to school? You just said, fundamentally said that you like design skills. Yeah. And I have friends who are consultants at like top companies like EY, some amazing companies who have the experience. And as, 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 a, as, a, as a prank, I got one of my friends to apply like two years ago yeah. to a role. This person has been at Adidas like essentially two years, didn't even get a shortlist. Overqualified the most of the sales team. But these are perhaps like the issues that we're facing because people just don't see the color. Touching upon the recruitment process and the, the being fraud. That's a problem that we are trying to solve by giving companies the opportunity to have access to diverse workforces. Now, my role is to like outreach the companies to try to get them on board. And um, <laughs> you have some difficult conversations. You go on companies' LinkedIn profiles, their sales navigator, and you look at a company which is predominantly like white male, and you say, perhaps you have a diversity problem. And I've literally had founders on the phone to me say, no, we don't, we don't need your service, which is funny because fundamentally we do. Um, so work you, we're doing through you primarily is um, very needed. So what do you think are like the next steps? How can we help ourselves on this? Because as you said before, asking for seats at the table doesn't work. Um, what's, what's the next step for us? I think if you're within an organization, so my, my kind of advice would be if you're someone that belongs to a diverse group and you're within an organization no matter what um, level you are at it's your responsibility to break down those walls right we need to be allies we need to be activists um, within our companies and so whether that's actually deciding to set up an ERG group so an employment resource group to then invite people who are overrepresented to actually begin to start those conversations and that's something that can be done quarterly it can be done monthly setting up a diversity committee so if you are for example part of the recruitment team um, within your organization or a sales team having um having a group of people that individuals within the team can come to and talk to if they have a concern about anything around diversity inclusion so it's about how do we first of all address what's happening within the organization and i believe that diverse people have the they, they have a responsibility, but they're also, they're the biggest advocates because they can effectively um, speak for us on our behalf. Sure. Whereas I'm not trying to say that the, the burden sits on them mm-hmm. to educate people to see us. Because sure. I think that's often when, you know, a lot of times when it's like, oh, let's hire a, a diverse inclusion lead. They immediately <laughs> hire a black woman. I'm like, you know. Tick. It's like, and then all of the now burden and worries for us. But I think more where more change can actually happen is where you have people that belong to overrepresented groups actually stand up for when they see inequality happen. So actually, now I think another advice would be is that if you are a white man, um, a straight white man from an upper, you know, socioeconomic class, what you know, think about what can you do for, to speak up on behalf of your peers. You know, stand up, say something when you see someone interrupt a woman in the office in the meeting. You know, say something when someone's making like inappropriate jokes about someone's religion or the color of their skin or their sexuality. I think for us, it's a it's a top-down method where you need to get buy-in from the decision makers in the company, the C 
by the bottom line. And they don't care as long as that makes their profit at the end of the year. It's kind of sad that the community is assigned that's what we've done. It's just money over everything. It's sad. So anyway, let's touch back on you yourself. What's probably the best career decision you've ever made and the worst? Ooh, ooh, I love it. Um, the best career decision was probably yeah, my first job within tech. So I joined Incubus, which again I, I, I talked about. It's a retail accelerator, so they help startups. Um, they put them through like six weeks of training um, on like how to do customer success, um, customer sales, anyone that's building products towards that. But when I left that job. I left my previous job at a law firm, but I also took like a 70% pay cut. And I was like, how am I going to survive? Because I wasn't living with my parents. I was living with a friend at a time. I said, I'm going to make this work um, because that experience is so invaluable to me. And it's what helped um, that really supercharge my career. So I think for me, that was probably the biggest like thing I'm happy about. Um, but not many people do that. People take that pay cut, right? You're pushing in your job and you get a good salary. Um, and the worst would probably be hmm, I don't really know if I have a worst I think with every career I've had um, or job opportunity there's always been great learners to take away um, and that learners then help me do better in my other role yeah so many of our audience are somewhere between the ages of 18 to 23 what advice would you give an 18 to 23 year old Debbie in this current climate learn just learn, immerse yourself in everything that um, tickles you, that you're curious about, and just um, do loads of deep dives. So there's so many things in tech I want to learn more about, and especially diverse inclusion. Now, finding that time to have scheduled learning isn't possible when you're also working on the business and in the business. Um, but during your 1824s, when you're just straight out of university, when you're probably in a more routine or structured job role, you have so many opportunities to learn. You know, ask your manager about how this process works speak to industry experts or speak to someone that's in a position that you want to be in and say how did you get there what like books a hundred percent like what books did you read you know watch videos content if you do like listen you know listening to podcasts like this amazing one pick up some other ones and keep listening whilst you're on the train utilize the time you have when your mind is kind of not being active you know i i take an i have an hour and a half train journey into work every day a hundred percent i'm reading the, right now the hard things about hard things absolutely yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, so, you know, where you find that you have those opportunities rather than listening to Spotify or, um, you know, just listen to your favorite gospel or like grime artists, <laughs> you know, pick up a book, read podcasts, and just take loads of deep dives because your brain, as well, at that age is super active um, and more, uh, you know, active in terms of retaining information and knowledge. And that's the best place to like, kind of optimize yourself. On a side note about that book. So those gentlemen, Ben Horowitz and Mark Andreessen, are fucking intelligent. They're amazing. <laughs> I listen to them speak sometimes and I, and I get lost. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm, I'm not, where am I? I think I'm in like a fifth way, <laughs> one fifth way into that book. But already the insights I've taken, especially around, you know, stakeholder management, team management, um, just the learnings has been super useful. And I think what I also appreciate about this book is the journey's hard. Oh, you know, there was times in the book where you, oh, man. yeah, <laughs> yeah, the journey's hard, and I think to see that other people that have, you know, super more successful where we're trying to be, but to, for them to say actually and be open and transparent, say we went through these hard issues. I've made a mistake before, 
and to be open about it but then also to present solutions to actually you know uh, fix the problem I think that's just absolutely amazing it's just blowing my mind reading those books <laughs> is powerful because it shows you that one thing I learned quite recently is everything look around you in the room even this like device you're listening to this podcast on everything around you was like made by a human from a human a human that is like no better or worse than you are same mind same body same, same spirit same everything um, it's just they've channeled their creativity and their discipline a bit harder than yourself and it's motivating to know that this, this iPhone here like Steve Jobs or Steve Wozniak came up with this idea in the 80s and here I am like everything in front of me is Apple for the most part yeah exactly, exactly. <laughs> so it's mine from, from a small idea here we are yeah and they I doubt they thought that they'd be the business would be where it is now so you could have the next so I have had many ideas which I thought were amazing so I had an idea for just before like the sugar bank came in like an energy drink a yeah. sugar drink a drink like less than 7 grams of sugar that's what we all used to be like sugar drink less than 7 grams for like people in our community because I got tired of growing up all you drink was like KA go together 39 acetonic sports drink yes when you, when you look at the <laughs> so that shit is so terrible yeah it's like emo so I get I didn't drink on that idea a lot of different ideas that probably you guys have listened but you haven't quite your youth now is the time to just go crazy uh, what is there to do fundamentally like what's the time with your friends on the weekends and carnival's cool and stuff but it's going to come around next year as well and it always ma- always manages to be better and just uh, all the highlights you see on twitter anyway so like, don't really stress it like that much um, what other book recommendations would you give our listeners um there's another book i like called against the odds um it's by the founder of Teach First. And what I love about that book is this, oh God, I can't even remember his name actually, it's terrible. But um, he's the founder of Teach First and the book is called Against the Odds. And then what I love about um, the book is that ideas can be birthed just like that. So he was working at one of the top consultancy companies and he had a bit of um, some time to work on an idea of his own whilst he was there. And he decided that he's going to explore um, the issues that are happening within the teacher industry so and look at like government reports and white papers and what he noticed was that a lot of teachers as it was a high churn rate a lot of teachers would come in they would leave after two years and obviously this had a negative impact on the students that they're teaching so then whilst he was working on that in that company he asked for them for a sabbatical to do further research and that sabbatical then led to Teach First being one of the most profitable and largest social enterprises that exist in the UK today um, and it's actually fun. And I think reading that book, there were so many tips and tricks that he'd done in order to get there. So they were a startup. I think what I love about the book again, I keep saying I love it. Well, they were a startup, but sometimes you have to optics. There was a lot of optics in that game. So they didn't have an office, but they were trying to hire the best talent. It's bizarre. Yeah. <laughs> Not like emails, yeah. it's like, we here at Squealy. Yeah, 100%. Like two or three people. They didn't have an office and they were trying to hire the best people to become teachers and send them to these underserved schools um, and like make an impact in the world. And I said, okay, we've got to ask, like, how are we going to interview people? Because we can't interview them in our basement. And so they researched, they spoke to their contacts, their networks, and someone actually said, well, we work at City Hall. I can get you you know, a room in City Hall. And um, what that meant is that when people came down to interviews, they were like, oh wow, your office is in City Hall. Okay, your office is in City Hall. I want to work for you. And it's those little things, reaching out um, to your networks or friends to help you support. But then 
you know, it was just I just found that super creative, but it made so much impact on like the team and the talent that you hire. Um, and he he shared a lot of those things that he did in the book um, to get to, you know to get to where he's. So your story is interesting. Yeah. Why is why is being a slack channel to where to where you are now? Yeah. Um, what secrets, maybe tips, and tricks, and advice? How have you gone towards where you are? Yeah. So one of the biggest tips I would say is that your community. Um, and if you want to call them your users or your beneficiaries, are your biggest advocates. So everything, where WiseWise is today, is literally because our community is amazing and they vouch for us. So long as we serve our community, the work in terms of um, partnerships or uh, monetary um, gains is because our community helps us get there. Um, So yeah, I'd say that's one of the biggest tips. Um, Another thing is making sure that you have great advisors and mentors around you i think counsel is super important so we have an amazing advisory board um from people from all different companies at all different stages um who i call upon in times of need so when it's like oh i'm writing a new partnership deck like, can you help me support this server drink list has been super helpful with that or um, i'm making some new hiring decisions can you help me with this nafisa who runs amali has been super helpful with that and those people especially when you're um running quite a small team or starting up by yourself are super incredible because they are your pillars to help you then build a structure to your business um, another big tip is don't be afraid to talk about talk about it. Um, it's something I have struggled with being quite an introverted person, but I know what how I changed my mindset is that this is not me talking about myself. This is me talking about community and its impact, and they they deserve to be heard. So if I'm not speaking about it, I'm doing an injustice to my community. I'm could potentially be blocking them from opportunities or activities that that make their journey more fruitful. So now I'm like, actually, I'm gonna do that press release or I'm going to say this, or I am going to do this, because what they're working on is magical. And that's the way I see it. So it's a lot of um, growth mindset and, and changing your mind and how you see things and understanding how it's, what you're building is so much more bigger than you. Um, so that's been helpful. Another thing is, um, again, just deep diving into companies that are similar to yours, but also ones that aren't so similar. So um, I'm always researching companies that you know, I'd love to be on the same growth journey as so such as Blavity which is founded by Morbid Devan they recently raised about 6 million from um, Google Ventures and they're a media company supporting uh, the voices of black communities I love her job um, she's awesome <laughs> and also stuff like Code for America which is amazing and they do like different programs and initiatives to help people in America build um, well the public actually build solutions that the governments are facing and then you've got Code um, Best Girls here in the UK um, formerly run by an amazing woman called Mali um, who now is actually the manager director of Microsoft Startups and they all teach women how to how to code and they're great and I love learning from them but also I like looking at other industries as well like I'm really into like how SaaS products um, run like Salesforce and actually the, the sales process that they have and how they're really great at um, client relationship management because that's the same way that I see my business There's a guy called Jason Lickens mm-hmm. he has a whole SaaS tutorial online he, Absolutely, and they do a massive conference as well. I think SAS SAS stock, yeah, and they, quite a bit pricey. <laughs> yeah, 100% because like we actually we may be working with them a little bit actually to help get some help them more accessible and diverse. So yeah, fingers crossed out if you're listening, SAS. Like we spoke about it now, but um, but yeah, looking at other industries, like one thing I also like to look at is like the music industry. So the way the music industry works, I believe, is quite similar to the startup industry. So you have a artist and you have a startup. You have the office space and you have the studio. Sure. 
you have the VC and you have the talent manager. You have the VC firm and you have the label. And the way I see it, when I see an artist, I'm like, that artist is putting so much work into the studio, making mixtapes, you know, making albums. The same way a startup, a founder, works so hard in their office, making products, helping their users, their users, their fans, their fans, their users. And for me, I think it's super important um, at times when you're so immersed in your industry to just take a step back, you know, get um, more creative, look at other industries, you know, and that's where new innovation and creativity happens. So one of the things when I used to, I used to go and follow my friends to like music studios and just hang out there. I used to go to stuff like Universal and follow them to meetings because everyone's like, oh, can you help me with my deck for this meeting? I'm like, okay, cool, I'll come do Universal, go Warner Brothers Music, everything like this. And in my mind, the way I would admire them so much. And then I look at my community, I'm like, I want to make my, I want to make this community, I want to make tech stars the next rap stars. And that's instantly, I said, that's where my mind changed. I was like, tech stars are the next rap stars and they deserve to be heard. And actually being an entrepreneur, it's cool. <laughs> like it's cool, like it's, it's fun, it's creative and the outputs are amazing. And actually what we're told in school in terms of go be a lawyer, go be an engineer, or you're only gonna be a footballer or a rapper, actually you can build something that's super sassy and super cool that people use right in front of them. That can be food tech. So look, again, look at another tip, looking at other industries that aren't adjacent to yours and trying to get um, inspiration and new creativity in us. One leaving remark before we go. Advice for somebody 21 years old wanting to take over the world. One bit of information. If all of this they ignore and they don't listen to one tad bit, what would you say? Debbie says, do this or else. Or that is that all works. Mm. Say, shut up and study. Or... <laughs> <laughs> they want to take over the world. I'm gonna say something, but it's gonna be so controversial. Where we go? Here we go. Only for religious reasons, because my advice would be: if you want to take over the world, you got to be in the world, and that's not in ten, not in terms of being in there that you're so closed off in terms of having an outward perspective. But if you want to take over the world, you've got to be where those problems are and figure out how you're gonna solve it. So a lot of times when we speak to organizations or individuals that want to get into new career opportunities, are you in that network? Are you in that ecosystem? Are you in that community that you so happen to want to support and reach? From the outside, you're looking from the outside. Can't get into the club. Can't get into the club. So you've got to be in there and understand what problems the world is facing. Take care, guys. Where can I get you on the socials? Uh, so, Deborah Kenner, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, across there. This is why it's why I said the same thing. Amazing. Thank you for the wonderful episode. Thank you.